Thank you for joining us for Three Bs on the Law podcast, hosted by Trisha Barita, Camille Canali, and Susan Dawson. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. We are talking today about conducting the HR investigation. Uh, conducting workplace, workplace investigations can be very challenging. And a lot of professionals um, really struggle with how to uh, go through the investigation, what steps to take, what not to take. Um, and they're, But they're very important. A properly conducted investigation can help defend the company, can help position the company for defense. If the matter gets to a uh, an, an administrative hearing like the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission or your state body, whoever you have in your state doing, doing the investigations, or even if a lawsuit is eventually filed. So, the, you know, the key to a proper investigation is that it should be prompt, thorough and impartial. And uh, so let's go through the steps. So well, the first step is how do you know when you need to do an investigation, right? Or is an employee just making a comment? What do you what do you think, Trisha? Oh, I think it depends on kind of a lot of factors, right? So, I mean, of course, like there's no, you know, cookie cutter answer to this. But I think like if you're going to try to identify when an investigation needs to occur, Obviously, if a complaint has been brought to an employer and the complaint appears to be of some matter uh, of seriousness, whether it's a safety issue or harassment or discrimination, um, hostile work environment is a big one. You know, you have to take those steps to, I think, investigate and determine whether or not, you know, there's evidence that supports that and there's some action maybe the employer needs to take, whether it be, um, you know, discipline or termination of an employee if, if you know, the complaint um, holds true and it does cause an issue in the workplace. What do you right. think? So about I think well, I think the first step, and, and we should probably clarify that this is different from an incident report where like you have an actual incident where someone is injured. We talked about that in our last episode. This is where you actually have kind of the types of complaints where Trisha was talking about where you need to investigate from an HR perspective. And so I, in my experience, each investigation is really very different depending upon the circumstances and depending upon the number of people involved. And so I think the first step is always to go back and look at your policy. So if someone makes a harassment claim, you should go back and read your policy about harassment because my bet is it's not something you look at every day. And hopefully most companies don't get these types of complaints every day. And so it is a, an unusual situation. And so I always feel like the first step is go back and look at your policy that governs whatever the complaint is. Yeah. Hopefully you have a policy related to that because um, <laughs> well, that would be helpful. But a lot of like harassment policies, the ones that I draft, they 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 identify what's harassing, you know, and um, and if it falls into one of those things, then you should be investigating. Right. I think I think if you hear the word harassment, you should be investigating. Frankly, that's my opinion. Um, 
you know, uh, but I think the safety issues are confusing. People just kind of throw those off. I've seen a lot of that with COVID with, you know, employees complaining about this employee or that employee and everyone confused on the employer side of, do we need to investigate? And I bring that up only because, uh, you know, um, you always have to consider like, you know, when you're trying to identify what it is that needs to be investigated, you have to always think of the fact that did you make this employee that brought this complaint to you, even if you don't think it's worth investigating, feel that you heard them. I think that's important because if you don't, you may find that you create a culture of people that don't uh, bring complaints to you and uh, because they don't think that you'll take them seriously. The employees do not know the difference between, <clears throat> you know, what falls under the legal realm of what should be investigated or not investigated or whatever. They're going to bring everything to you, right? So you're going to get like, well, Susie said this to so-and-so and I didn't like that joke. And like, you might be like, what? Like, it was a joke about French fries. What's I'm not going to investigate that, right? But in the end of the day, how do you like make it feel like you, you know, you're getting these complaints and how do you identify which ones? Obviously, I think those should be um, decisions made by somebody with the knowledge of whether or not it should be investigated. So all lower level management um, should be trained on the fact that when people bring things to them and they're not sure whether there should be an investigation that they bring that back to HR, they bring that to a higher level manager, or they bring that to the business owner, depending on how big the business is and work through the identification process. And of course, if those people don't know and they're confused because you're on the fence about what the complaint is and whether it should be investigated, um, then you may need to, you know, uh, talk to your in-house or outside counsel on that. But um, I think it's it's sometimes when I, you know, hear what these complaints are and the employer's like, should I investigate it? I'm always sometimes like, yes, obviously you should investigate this, right? But you can easily see how, um, you know, someone from maybe like that's not looking at from the legal risk standpoint might just be like, it just seems like someone complaining, you know? Um, but I got to tell you, like all the way on the, if you think to the end, which I always, in an investigation, I always think to the end, what does this look like if you don't investigate this and it goes in front of a jury and this whole thing plays out and you didn't find out all these facts because you didn't investigate it. If the jury was sitting there and they heard this joke that someone made, or these series of jokes and this hostile work environment situation, would they think that's something the company should have looked into? And if anywhere near that you're thinking, yeah, maybe, then I'm saying, I'm thinking, yeah, we should investigate it, right? At least you can rule it out and say it wasn't a hostile work environment, or it wasn't discrimination. It was, you know, maybe you can get evidence for that defense that Susan brought up to begin with. Well, I think the key is that it's not for the HR person to decide whether or not the statement was offensive or hostile or, or what have you. If the employee comes to you and, and makes that claim, then you should investigate it and, and you know, find out more information about it. Um, but before you do, before you jump in and start investigating, there's, there's some things you should do to prepare for it. You know, you need to come up with a plan. You, you should sit down and say, okay, was it just one person? Is it, is it a, he said, she said, or she said, she said, right. Was it just two people involved? Okay. Um, looking to the policy, it's not just necessarily the harassment policy, but do you have other policies that talk about just general discussions in the office, you know, make sure you've looked through all of it. Um, is there any evidence? Are there any emails? 
we were talking in a in a our last podcast about um, incident reports, about text messages, and the importance of getting that information right. So before you just run out there and start talking to people, sit down and think about what is your plan. Who will you be investigating? What order are you going to be investigating them in? Um, what evidence do you need to get? Who should do the Who should do the investigation? Because if the if the investigation is against the HR person or the complaints against the HR person, then the HR person should not be doing the investigation, right? So come up with a plan, and then put it into into um, action. But don't take too long with that plan. Because time is of the essence, as us lawyers like to say. Um, too much time can impact the credibility of the witnesses and the evidence. Right, Camille? Correct. And you, you, both you and Trisha brought up really good points. You should not have someone who is friends with or is person. When I say personal involvement, I'm not talking about a sexual relationship, but your friends outside of work should not be doing an investigation into other employees because there's that bias issue that I think is very important. And for some investigations, like a sexual harassment investigation or discrimination investigation, I actually think that it could be beneficial to hire an outside company to do that investigation for you because it gives the appearance of impartiality which goes back to what Trisha was saying a few minutes ago, that it is really important that the employee making the complaint feel heard and that their complaint is being taken seriously. And they should be taken seriously. You know, employees should be treated fairly and they shouldn't have to put up with discrimination or harassment or unsafe work environments in the workplace. And so I think that you're also mitigating your risk when you take these complaints seriously of it not being elevated to the EEOC or to OSHA, where you may have bigger problems if you don't address it directly in the first place. Yeah, I think just going along those lines, Camille, I think sometimes you find out in an investigation, if you had some experience with these which hopefully you haven't if you're an employer and you like, haven't had a ton of experience with them. But like um, just from a perspective of like uh, us attorneys that have, you know, run into these situations with our clients, like one thing is, is that you may find that the person that's bringing this complaint, whatever the complaint's about, um, it may have taken them a while to get to you. This may have been going on. Some of the 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 worst cases and, in, in, um, you know, discrimination and hostile work environment cases, these people were harassed for a year, you know, uh, six months before they brought it to management. And then they brought it to management sometimes several times, different people trying to get somebody to do something about it. So there's so many lessons to be learned with investigations in um, training everybody to know that you may not know whether an investigation needs to be um, conducted, but you need to you know, identify that it needs to be brought to somebody to make that decision. Because that I think is always like the thing that falls through. Um, you can have great policies and you can have great upper management, know how to handle everything and great HR team. But, you know, someone, you know, um, that maybe it's just a lower level management doesn't realize how serious something like this is and, you know, thinks it's just an employee complaining and blows it off. And it just creates a nightmare because, 
it creates a horrible situation for the employee that may be in the um, situation themselves. Um, and it just is really, really, really awful uh, evidence. And you see that play out in these cases that where the employee, where the training isn't there. I also want to comment on the, when Susan was brought up, like who will be interviewed. One thing I always like, if you end up not hiring at like a third party company, like Camille's talking about, which can be expensive. So you may not be doing that for every investigation. If you end up conducting the investigation internally, um, and you're going through, you should be consistent with understanding and having a plan, like Susan said, with questions. Like, you shouldn't just go in there with a pad of paper blank and be like, all right, let's just talk about what's going on here. And you should never bring in the two people. If there's two people, like a harassment case where the person's, you know, complaining they're being harassed and the person that's potentially being uh, claimed, charged with harassing them. Like, you don't bring them in the same room. So you're doing these individual like um, interviews and the order of how to do that is kind of tricky, but you almost always want to get the evidence from the person who made the complaint first, if it's not written down, which should be in your policy. But sometimes, um, you, you know, they don't want to write it down for whatever reason and you really can't require it. So, you, you know, you can conduct the investigation, get that information from them. Then you go on, you're starting to identify witnesses as the investigation's rolling out. I always say, don't be afraid to go back and do those second interviews. And some people think, well, once you interview, it's done, right? But really, later on in the investigation, some information might come up where you need to go back. And like, that's kind of an interesting thing because you can miss confirming the um, inconsistencies and in stories if you don't. I mean, I don't know what y'all think, but that's kind of my take on that. No, I agree. It's important to get all the information. If that means going back, then go back. Yeah. And Trisha, I also think you made a great point that a complaint doesn't have to be in writing. A complaint yeah. can be verbal. And so you have to really make sure that your supervisors are trained in recognizing what constitutes a complaint because a lot of supervisors and even management don't always know that. It's something that has to be taught sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Right. So when you're conducting the investigation and we're talking to these witnesses, something that I see a lot in handbooks, not handbooks that I wrote, but um, in other handbooks, that say, uh, we will keep everything confidential. All, all investigations will be confidential. Well, mine usually says, is to the extent possible, we will maintain confidentiality. Because when people leave the room, sometimes they go talk. Now, you may ask them not to, but sometimes they do. And word gets out. Or how can you maintain, if someone, if, you know, if, Tom accused Jane of something. You have to tell Jane that they were accused. How, how do you maintain the confidentiality if there's no one else but Tom that could have made that accusation, right? So there's so many complications with confidentiality. So be careful when you're reading through your policies. What do you guys think about that? I mean, have you seen that in policies? Not the ones, I'm sure not ones you wrote, but <laughs> other people's policies. Yeah, I think that we just typically say we try to maintain confidentiality to the extent possible. You know, obviously, we don't want to go out name calling and broadcast it. And we ask people to keep the conversations confidential. The witnesses confidential, as well as, right. you know, the parties that are interviewed. 
Yeah, I think I think it just depends on the facts of this yeah. specific investigation about whether you can make a determination of how to handle that. But it's a good point, yeah. Susan, for sure. And then the same is true, like for the results, you know, that that is definitely not a one size fits all. Again, it, it's very complicated as to what you're going to do with the results sometimes of that. Sometimes the results will be obvious because it results in a termination of an employee. And so you don't actually have to announce the results, but everyone involved will get it because suddenly, for example, Jane and your example, Susan is no longer with the company. Right. Once the investigation is concluded. Right. I mean, I think you both bring up really good points that this is very, very case by case basis. Um, you may have done a number of investigations and then you get one and you think, whew, I'm not sure how to do this one and you might need some help. So this is really where having um, advisors that know how to walk you through becomes so important, whether that's, you know, contacting your lawyer or, or like Camille suggested an outside HR company. But the work, the, the conducting the investigation is key to making sure your defense is, is there to the extent possible. Um, so being impartial, being prompt, do not delay, and being thorough with your investigation. So I think um, that's it for conducting the HR investigation. You guys think we threw enough at them for today? So uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you all next time on 3Bs on the Law. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast of 3Bs on the Law. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. We also welcome any comments. If you'd like to get in touch with us or suggest a future topic, you can email us at 3-T-H-R-E-E-B-S-O-N-T-H-E-L-A-W at gmail.com. And because we're lawyers, we need to remind you that this podcast is not meant to provide you with legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.